I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It was always going to be a risky business coming back in off his holidays the day after Galway played Limerick in an All-Ireland hurling semi-final. But this is the bed you've made for yourself, Kieran Murphy. Now all that's left is for you to get nice and comfy there. There's a little pillow for you. And just lie in it. Get that duvet over you. How are you doing, buddy? Welcome back. Thank you, Owen. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be back. And uh, about uh, maybe 65 minutes into yesterday's All-Ireland hurling <laughs> semi-final, I was thinking... God, two unbelievably oh. triumphant returns where I get to shove the words of our GA pundits right down their effing throats like I did with Oshin and Paul Flynn after Galway beat Mayo. I mean, I, had, I basically had my messages written out to Jamie Wall uh, after Imagine. his shameful words, uh, truly, mm. truly shameful words uh, about Galway's chances, uh, which Maliki Turkin, I think, tried to say were minimal. And Jamie Wall then refused to even accept that there, were, there was a minimal chance of Galway winning this game. Correct. I genuinely wouldn't give them a chance of winning this game. I'll do you a deal. How about we force you to talk about your heartbreak right now, then move on to Ireland's first test defeat in New Zealand with Shane Horgan and Jim Kays before okay. revisiting the hurling during the week for our World Service members. That should at least give Jamie time to consider just how close he came to one of the all-time bullish pre-match predictions <laughs> gone wrong. We were talking Simon, Chicago, 30 points, yeah, we whatever were, it was we're against New Zealand. Definitely in that territory, I think. Oh, oof. It was, it was close. Yeah, it was an unbelievable game. I, I mean, I said the 65th minute because I think that was about the earliest that I thought Galway were actually going to win the game. <laughs> you know, like mm. when the game started as, as forebodingly as it did from a Galway perspective, like 6-1 down... Uh, Galan and Flanagan absolutely on fire inside. Just a Limerick machine moving so smoothly. Like the the, the idea that the game would even be a going concern by half time seemed outlandish. Uh, and then for Gaulish just steam back into it in the manner in which they did. Uh, it was something else. It really was. Now for all that uh, uh, and for all the great hurling that Gaulish played, particularly in the second quarter, you kind of looked at the halftime score. Limerick were four up at that stage, and you're like. It seems like Gold have done all the hurling and yet Limerick are still four points up, so kinda of that should be that. We're like we were familiar with that kind of pattern with say with the Dublin footballers over the last ten years or so. 
And then the obviously the the discussion at halftime was Galway are going to need a goal, and there hasn't even been a sniff of a goal in uh, you know at either end of the of the pitch uh, in this game. And then the goal happens with whatever within two or three minutes of the of the second half starting, and then it was like off to the race. It's just an unbelievable game of hurling from then on, really. Yeah, the goal was the goal was obviously the big thing, but there were other moments where I thought, "Oh, hang on a second. because I was the same as you. E- even after the, for a large, you're still thinking Limerick will find a way here, but they were wobbling. You know, they the one stage was a Connor Whelan absolutely beasted Kyle Hayes physically. You know, there's mm. a few of these moments where you're seeing things you don't normally see. Well, not that you don't see Connor Whelan beast people physically, but you, you know, one of the monstrous Limerick players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they bring they bring Keen Lynch on, and this is the big get the crowd going, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm pretty sure he lost the first ball that came into him. One of those ones that you always see him taking, just springing up and taking a high ball, mm. and he was beaten too. And there were just a few little moments like that where I am thinking. I'm taking this Galway thing seriously here. This could actually happen. And you've got Shefflin on the sideline who is just yeah. a wild man. Yeah. He's, he's, I can't believe how demonstrative Henry Shefflin is on <laughs> so, the sideline. Yeah. Like, it's so, so expressive. Uh, and that, that all added to the, not necessarily the feeling that they were going to win, but that this was, uh, this was a, suddenly we're into a 50-50 contest. And we'll see, can Limerick do it? I mean, of course mm. then, yes, they can. Yeah. They, Put a, put a bit of a pin in it but at least there was some hope for a while it was extremely funny to see Shefflin and Paul Kinnerk like roaring in each other's faces I mean I haven't watched the full game back I watched the highlights they didn't show it on the Sunday game last night uh, but like the pair of them were like in each other's faces like they both got yellow cards but they were like shouting and roaring in each other's faces for like 30 seconds and it was ex- like just unbelievable theatre Um and kind of Shefflin, kind of for all the the kind of hype and the hoopla, I mean, a, you know, a big defeat yesterday would have been damaging because, you know, you're kind of, you start kind of revising what you'd seen in the Leinster chapter before the Leinster final then even. And then the Leinster final dis- display was so, you know, just so weak, you know, it was just not, a, there was just no life in that performance whatsoever. Um, but to see Shefflin get the Goldway team up to such a pitch and particularly to like some of the older players, uh, Porrick Mannion Joseph Cooney but in particular David Burke I just thought David Burke was exceptional for a guy who's you know had been kind of been sidelined by Shane O'Neill over the last couple of years and you know it seemed like there was a role there where maybe as an impact player for the last 50 minutes or whatever but he just he was sensational yesterday absolutely unbelievable and it was actually just that lack of depth on the bench that really killed Galway because after 55 minutes and you see Limerick bringing on David Reedy, who ended up being the match winner. Um, but also, obviously, Lynch and Peter Casey and these guys. And, the you know, like you're looking at Galway then going, like, there's no way David Burke can keep going at this pace. There's no way these guys can keep going. We had to ask so many of them to go deep into, like, kind of the, the last 10 minutes of the game before you eventually took them off. But, I mean, kind of the mood music around Galway is that having been quite downbeat about where where Galway were and haven't been quite downbeat about the fact that this group of players are getting older and there's no one coming through. Sheffield has actually brought through a load of uh, very, very talented young players. Yeah, so is, is people aren't too downbeat about it because it, it also feels like I know logically the second year it should be better and then maybe the third mm. year is when you win the All-Ireland but it doesn't always happen like that. We know that sometimes in sport you get your chance and you take it then or it might not happen for you again and it was just it was there for the winning is it, is it harsh to say they blew the chance well it's probably a little harsh maybe to say they blew it but I, I, certainly the chance was there yeah. and you know there were a couple of moments 
you know, Connor Cooney in the last 10 minutes, you know, and Connor is an exceptionally talented hurler, but just it, it has happened for him in the past. It's just in the last 10 or 15 minutes when Galway are desperate for some for something to happen and it just doesn't happen for Connor, you know, and it it's it's you know it's a re- deeply unfair scenario but the fact of the matter is that Joe Canning was there for years and it was in those moments that Joe stood up and did something ridiculous did something you know like the miracle shots that you you're hoping for like even in the last minute like literally did Ian Murphy has the ball in his hand for the last puck out and you're just like I haven't thought this all year really but Jesus Christ it would be great to have Joe Canning to aim this puck out on you know <laughs> um and and that and even that's kind of has been strange because you know like Canning hasn't like kind of overshadowed this goal of the team. I think the fact was that you know everyone knew how many injuries he had had over the last number of years. Everyone knew that he had gotten everything out of him. So there wasn't this like yeah, and he was so definitive about his retirement and then definitive again about when Shefflin got the job that he wasn't coming back. That people just kind of moved on in their heads and like, what's the point in talking about Joe Canning? And then yesterday happens and you're like oh man <laughs> 10 minutes off the bench of Joe Can- from Joe Canning that oh, would have been stop. that would have been handy but I mean Limerick yeah. I mean it, it's mad that Limerick obviously the Covid seasons have meant that there have been smaller crowds and no crowds at all and to be there yesterday to see Limerick even when they weren't you know firing on all cylinders like they're so good they're just so good it's like it's a privilege to be able to watch them in a lot of ways you know um and while you know Galway will be obviously very disappointed, I mean you're t- you, you're taking one of the really great teams all the way to extra time in that game, and you know there it's hard to be too upset about uh, from a Galway perspective when you see just how good Limerick are when they when they stitch it together as they did not all the time but for just about enough of the game yesterday to they've been to make softened it up though Murph they've been softened up and we know he's going to apply the killer blow ah. Oh. Brian well, Cody's I mean, also going to retire. That's my prediction. He's going to. I know we wanted the Cody Shefflin thing. That's not going to happen. But Cody is going to knock Limerick off their perch and then retire and then publicly turn to the crowd and ask them to back their new manager, whoever that oh, may be. Oh man, <laughs> that was that was ridiculous on Saturday evening. Absolutely, Claire, yeah, Cause, especially because of the build up. You know, Jamie and Mal were talking talking Claire up quite a lot, and yeah. I, was, I was trying to push back and say, "This is it is Kilkenny. They haven't gone away, you know. Yeah. I mean, they have generally lost all Ireland semi finals in the last few years, but uh, there was just something deep within me, having watched uh, Kilkenny play hurling a lot over the last few decades." That, that made me believe that they would probably win this game, which is... Uh, but not not that they were going to do it in that way. It was absolutely yeah. bonkers. Actually, I, I was missed the start of it. And by the time I got there, you're already aware. Even if this, even before the this, this scoreline came, became completely ridiculous, you're just just you're already aware this game feels like it's over. They were just yeah. so dominant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After, I would say after 25 minutes, it was this, uh, you know, put a fork in this one. Like, this one is yeah. done. And, you know, it's just... Like, why would you ever back against them? You know, I mean, like, I'm going to be, we're going to be previewing the, the Iron Hurling final on this show over the, at some stage over the next 14 days or 13 days. And why would you back even against this Limerick team? I mean, it's just unbelievable. Like, it, it, Well, it's a bit different when it's Limerick, but I just thought, I just thought the Clare thing was just being, see, I was a, sometimes when you miss a game, you know, you miss a little chunk and you, I, I felt that having not seen the Clare Limerick, the Munster final live, I maybe wasn't as wowed by Clare as everybody was because a lot of it seemed to be based on that game, you know, whereas when you look at that, the semi-final... You're like that, uh, that data analyst who impressed Jurgen Klopp by not watching any of those Dortmund games. <laughs> just say, yeah. You should have finished in the uh, in second place in that, that year you yeah, finished yeah, 12th. Yeah. I missed just enough hurling yeah. this summer to 
be able to, to call stick with my, my traditional, yeah. my more traditional view that Kilkenny are going to beat Clare in an All Ireland semi final. Yeah. So approved, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'll stop but, picking myself up now, Murph, after the event, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the following people were wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah says yeah. Old McDevitt. He starts the week as he means to go on. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, and I mean, with anything, any team with TJ Reid in it has an, a, an exceptional chance of winning hurling games, uh, as it turns out. And there was one angle that I read in the Irish Examiner, Christy O'Connor was writing this morning, about the Ballyhale contingent. Apparently there were whispers that Cody's behaviour towards Henry Shefflin over the course of the Leinster Championship um, meant there was a bit of a rift develop, developing in the camp between the Ballyhale lads and right. uh, Brian Cody. And then you look at Adrian Mullen, Owen Cody, TJ Reid and Richie Reid, who was exceptional at centre-back as well. You're like, well, if there was a rift, it looks to me like it's been healed. <laughs> uh, four weeks between a Leinster final and another semi-final is enough for plenty of things to have happened, including... Brian Cody, I'm sure walking into the dressing room, taking the four Ballyhale lads aside and saying, lads, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. Let, can you tell me how we can make this better? <laughs> yeah, you can see this happening, right? You can oh, see this conversation yeah. happening. Yeah. First of all, Brian, I want to thank you for your honesty here, says old Cody. Yeah, uh, yeah so no, I, I, maybe that's not what happened. But if there was a rift, it looks to have been well and truly healed. All right, we'll come back to the hurting during the week. Now let's turn our attention to what went down in Auckland on Saturday morning. It's Ireland by five points, 22 to 17. It's available here now. Ireland inching their way towards the 22. Mike McCarthy would ever hold on to it as he tried to pass it. McCarthy for Ireland is back with Luke Fitzgerald to mind the fancy stop. We have 30 seconds remaining. Back there, the referee's whistle has gone. It's a penalty for New Zealand. Oh, I don't believe it. It's about possession. for both teams as New Zealand have it now back with Aaron Smith towards Cruden to Kieran Reid Kieran Reid tries to get around Kevin McLaughlin he's brought play inside the Ireland half of the pitch across on that far side it's with Ben Smith time is up here New Zealand desperately trying to get their hands on the ball back at Manano Manano now gets it free towards Ryan Crotty inside the 22 metre line New Zealand sweeping in to Cruden Cruden in a midfield possession to Frank Seas stopped there as tracks by Jamie Heaston he doesn't release. Back with Aaron Smith. New Zealand have numbers now. Across on the far side of the pitch as they go away with this one. And cut through the cover. There's massive defence by Ireland. They're trying to gather this one back. Four yards short to the line. It's come back to Bananu. Mano comes with it. Darcy tackles him to ground. The man from the Lansdowne club. 
with uh, New Zealand now they have it swept it back to Cruden moves it out on the near side towards Dane Coles get through the cover New Zealand through Ryan Crotty get in for the try on the near side of the pitch oh yeah I don't believe it Ryan Crotty scores oh my goodness They've managed it. It's 22 each. Alright, two games down. Two dispiriting defeats. A squad being stretched thin already. The good news is we don't have another Maori All Blacks match until next week, Shane. So there's that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Phew. Oh dear. We've got Jim Kays from Sky Sports New Zealand on this week. Jim, how are you? Yeah, really well, thank you. What a cracking game that was on Sunday. It's been a hugely anticipated tour, this one by Ireland. Uh, it was really well supported, uh, certainly for for Sky TV, and I think it was a fantastic night, and it's been good, two good games so far. I can't believe, I'm just looking at the big smile on Jim's face here, it's very different than myself <laughs> and Owen, he's absolutely, oh. you know, I think we, we had I'm that one sorry. coming, we had that one coming, I think, Jim. Well, yeah, look, there's been a lot of talk that uh, Ireland have won three of the last five against the All Blacks, and uh, 11 of the last 12 Test matches, and those sorts of things. So there's been, you know, a, and a, look, a lot of that talk has been here in New Zealand. I'm not saying it's been bragging coming out of Ireland. Uh, I think in New Zealand there's been real concern uh, that Ireland would come down and give the All Blacks a, a little bit of a tickle up. There, there was talk of 2-1, even 3-1 in the, in the Test Series um, because there's been a lot of uncertainty around the All Blacks. COVID has really interfered with the seasons, obviously. Uh, Ian Foster's not a universally popular choice mm. as coach. So there's been a fair bit of talk about it. So I think going into that test match, a lot of All Black supporters were really wondering what was going to happen. Yeah, I did watch uh, Sean Fitzpatrick, Shane, say that everyone is saying Ireland are favourites for this game. And I was thinking, are they? <laughs> they? Not in Ireland, they aren't. We certainly didn't feel well, like we were favourites well, and our worries were well, born Having out. never, ever won a test in New Zealand <laughs> in our history, somehow um, New Zealand um, did the old um, judo trick and flipped us into the position yeah, of... They managed to they take, managed the take the underdogs role. I don't yeah, think yeah. New Zealand are ever underdogs in any game to go into. Um, and Ireland are, are, are rarely... Um, or well, you know, I suppose a little bit more. They've they've uh, become uh, mm. favourites, but never against the the old black side. Uh, I'd suggest. Um, and I suppose what's our you know what are the Ireland expectations here on this tour? Um, I, I I'm certainly didn't think it was necessarily a, a tour that Ireland could win. Um, you know, given the history. Um, I did. We have said before. There's important, important milestones on developing teams and away wins in the Southern Hemisphere. Are, is a really important part of that. Um, being able to do that, getting one win against New Zealand in the Test Series in New Zealand, I think that's a big win for Ireland. You know, if Ireland did if that, they could if it, they could yeah. do that, that would be a really significant jump. So let's be realistic on what expectations are. You know, you know the the stats that Jim mentioned there. Yes, you know they are they are um, relevant, and because of them, it's the reason why we think that potentially we could win one of these tests. And I don't think the game. On Saturday, um, you know, ruled that out. I don't, you know, I don't think, you know, there, there was there was positives in what Ireland did. I have to say, I did feel, looking at it, there was a real sense of deja vu from my own career on performances mm. against um, New Zealand. Probably when there was you know, maybe less expectation, but they give you a sniff maybe at the start, and you think, hang on a second, we could we could be in here and here, we, you know, things could be could be going well. There is a moment. 
um, that sort of flips and changes that and becomes you know pivotal. And that was you know that was the um, the try for New Zealand. Um, the second was the the intercept, the intercept try. try yeah. You know that, and then. There was kind of, you know, a, a lack of uh, control from Ireland and all of a sudden the game was out of sight. And it was the game, if we're going to be honest about it, the game was out of sight really early after that. You know, by half time it was gone. A little bit of, you know, a kick on um, just after half time, But it did feel then New Zealand very much in control for Ireland to you know break down New Zealand. The amount of times that they would need to get back into that game when the pressure was gone. Actually, the, and that's I think a key thing with, the, with in Ireland New Zealand games. Um, historically, Ireland have never been able to put our, uh, New Zealand under significant enough pressure that they start making silly mistakes, right? And pressure does do that. Um, so all the time, you know, and this again <laughs> throughout my career, mm. you know, even when we were going well against the, the All Blacks, there was a mental resilience with New Zealand to go right we are going to beat Ireland because we always beat Ireland. Now, that has actually changed a little bit and we've seen, you know, those losses that uh, that um, the ABs have taken against um, Ireland means that they are slightly, you know, they don't have that rock-hard bulletproofness of we are definitely going to win. But you have to get into a position to put them under pressure. And, you know, maybe if that hadn't been an intercept or had it been a try at that point, Maybe that's where the pressure would have come and we would have seen a slightly different um, outlook for a game. But we didn't. And all of a sudden, that took the pressure off and New Zealand looked really comfortable. Ireland looked strained and they continued with this thing of pushing passes and, and ultimately it, um, it, it got a little bit nasty on the scoreboard. I think also Ireland were a little bit unlucky and the All Blacks a little bit fortunate. Rico, Rico Ioani saved two absolute tries, didn't he? One um, on the line and one just a little bit you know, fractionally short of the line where he knocked the ball uh, out of the ball carrier's hands. You take those two tries and all of a sudden that's another 14 points for Ireland and the game turns again. So for me, rather than looking at the score, which obviously was was very generous in the All Blacks' favour, there were other things that I looked at in that test match and thought, wow, that is a significant improvement by the All Blacks. They monstered the Irish scrum. Mm. And you guys know how well regarded your scrum is. Uh, it, it has been a real weapon. It was certainly a weapon last year against the All Blacks. Uh, in fact, the All Black Type 5 was outplayed by the Irish Type 5 last year. I don't think you'd say that from what happened at Eden Park. And equally, the Irish defence has been one of the best defensive systems in the world, and the All Blacks scored six tries. So those two things for me showed a creativity on attack from the All Blacks that we hadn't seen, and that creativity was allowed to come because their forwards played so much better than they have in previous test matches, not only against Ireland, but particularly against Ireland and France last year. I think there were genuine questions about the All Blacks' tight five uh, after those two test matches, and they were they were really well answered, really well responded to in that performance at Eden Park. There was two other key issues for me in the game. I thought, yes, the scrum, but like Ireland's scrum... You know, can can blow a little bit hot and cold depending on the opposition. I I wouldn't see it as maybe the mm. cornerstone of of what we're doing in the way it would be for some other teams. But line out is, and you got after mm. our line out. Just we you know, we, and I was really surprised that our really foundation for what we've been doing 
um, for, for, for years really and then it's been re-energised since Paul O'Connell has come into the setup has been perfect lineouts. and I think we were going for perfect lineouts. so you see a lot of the um, overthrows were slightly right at the peak of the jump and not quite making it but that had a really significant um, influence on this game and um, maybe you know you could see it was definitely an area that New Zealand targeted and they got rewards for it and if you take that out of the Irish game it makes things a lot more difficult. A lot of our starter play start from from line out. Um, you know, we make big yardage. It's a very you know, it's a good platform for us. It's a confidence thing, and that was that was stri- stri- stripped away right throughout the game. What do you put that down to then, Shane? I'd, I'd be interested to hear what Jim puts it down to. But there was, um, I think there was two. It was um, a, a, a two components to it. One, Ireland. Uh, Ireland being under stress knowing that you're playing New Zealand you need to be excellent so as I said the top very top of the throw there's no sort of conservatism in it you have to be they're going for 100% accuracy which is which is right but then you have to deliver that and then secondly like New Zealand um, you know, put up in a very effective um, yeah, strategy to, to counter-attack it and, and it paid off they were putting pressure on the jumpers um, they were going up a lot where they stayed down it was, it was, it was you know there was there was clearly a game plan uh, identifying that this was a core part of what Ireland need to do and, and they got after it. And let's not forget, so the All Blacks played three locks. Scott Barrett is a lock uh, and they tried this against England at the at the last World Cup and it, it came undone in spectacular fashion. They were completely outplayed by England in that semi-final. Uh, it worked this time against, Sky, uh, against Ireland uh, and then even later in the game we saw Peter Gasso-Akula come onto the field and pinch a beautiful line-out throw off, off Ireland as well. And all of these things start to um, s- sort of add into each other, don't they? Mm. If your scrum's going well, then suddenly your breakdown starts going well, and then your line-out goes well. And when you're on the back foot, you just start thinking, gee, when are we going to catch a break here? We're under pressure at the scrum, we're under pressure here, we're under pressure there. So all of a sudden, what might have been a good line-out suddenly becomes a dysfunctional line-out. And, you know, three locks helps. Um, all of those things, I think, just sort of add to what was a really, really good performance by the Fords. And I don't want to overstate this, but Mike Cron, who had been involved in the All Blacks but hadn't been for a couple of years, came back in because COVID took Greg Feek and a few others out of the squad. Now, I'm not saying Mike Cron's a miracle worker or anything like that, but what I know about Crono is that it's small tweaks. And at this elite level... As you guys well know, it's just sometimes a small little tweak that changes things. And I think all of these things fed into what was a great performance by the All Blacks up front. But the trick now is can they back it up? And, and you know, I think the next test is Ireland's best chance. Because if you look at that third test in Wellington, you're on the end of a long season. You will have played four games by then. Yeah, four games. Two of them against the Māoris, but... They're a pretty handy team, as you well know. And I reckon that third test, that will be the most challenging for Ireland. That, that, that's the most daunting, I think, for them. Jim, the other thing I, I want to get your insight here, because I'm going to have a, a bit of a whinge. I, I, I thought... <laughs> oh, the referee? I, no, the ref, well, listen, the referee, more so, um, so the canniness, and this is, this is sort of hats off to New Zealand, because they've always been canny around the breakdown. I thought... Ireland got a little bit of a lesson around the breakdown and Ireland are very effective and efficient at the breakdown but I thought every time um, you know there was a breakdown tackler first man in was just enough of a nuisance 
or maybe just overstepped the line a little bit but didn't get caught you know they got caught a little bit and but I, I was I was watching it almost every rook somebody is messing up the Irish ball and sometimes illegally sometimes not but there's an they're doing it in such a canny way that I kind of you know I kind of understand why the referee wasn't necessarily picking it up it's part of what they do it was very very smart but it was affecting the speed of the Irish ball and I could imagine you know that I um Andy Farrell looking through the the video in detail as I have done and you pick it out he He's done something wrong. Look, he's doing something wrong there. He's doing something wrong there. And to be honest with you, that's not about a referee enforcing that because they'll never pick it up to the extent no. that they should. It's about the Irish team ensuring it doesn't happen by being aware of it and absolutely blasting it over those rooks like like New Zealand do, you know. And I do mm-hmm. think there is, you know, the way they go into rook and actually the way they clear it out. And beyond it, and we've seen the extent that New Zealand rook out beyond the ball, if that's what we're doing, then start doing it, lads. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, people like Brody Retallick, uh, Scott Barrett, they're very effective. Uh, off of Tunga Fasi, another one, at, at blowing past that ball. Sometimes I think that they take out people a little bit too wide of the, of the ruck, a little bit too wide of the ball. Um, but, you know, you've got a great list for Trio. You, Peter Armani, what a great player he is. Uh, so you, you know it, it's a it, I just I just can't I, I really want to get across how excited we were and we are to have Ireland here and how evenly matched we think these teams are and how highly anticipated already the next test match is because Ireland's been a great team for for four or five years now they've had the All Blacks number as we say on three or five occasions so there's been a huge anticipation going into this test series and it's it's great. It's it's fantastic because to be honest, sometimes you guys come not you guys but the northern hemisphere comes they come down here in June, June, July. Half the squad turns up one day, the other half turns up another day because there's been club finals and those sorts of things and the clubs haven't released their players and it's just been like, oh god, we've got to do this at the end of the year <laughs> and the white flag gets run up pretty quickly. You know, we've seen plenty of those, you, you know, you know that. There's been plenty of those series that have come down here from all of the Northern Hemisphere teams. This is a genuine series with genuine title contenders. And it's it's exciting. It's great. Jim, the problem is the series is not over yet. Let's see how they go the next couple of weeks. We might be having a different conversation in three weeks or two weeks time. Um, Shane, you were saying uh, uh, just, uh, you were saying there were two key areas that you thought uh, one was line out was breakdown. Yeah, break, the second breakdown one. was you the other one I was that. thinking. Yeah, but yeah, do yeah. you know um, what I, I found interesting as well, and, and this speaks to the intelligence of of the New Zealand team. Um, you often say, "Well, no defensive system is perfect." Right? You say you can't. Um, you can't defend every eventuality. There's always space somewhere. And I thought that was um, demonstrated really effectively by the way the the all-backs played. They, you know, they chipped through where, where... Ireland are very keen to get numbers in the front line. You can see that because they put pressure on. They don't want New Zealand to go wide. New Zealand are very good handlers. You know, going wide is... is and they've got lethal people on on the wings and full-backs. So... And cutting that off is a, is a smart move. It also allows them to get the line speed up because if you've got more numbers in the front line, you can get the line speed up and that closes off what, can, what, what they can do. And maybe you're talking about a one-out runner as opposed to a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit out wider. So I could understand why they were doing that and it's necessary to do it. But if you're doing that, it does mean that you're leaving space elsewhere. And, you know, sometimes you're, uh, Ireland were uh, correct and they were putting their... Um, nine in the front line as well, so that's added pressure, added um, um, speed off the line. But that le- that means that 
Um, maybe there's no, you know, maybe there's no one in that first wave of, of tracking defence behind that line. Now, sometimes that can be, you can say, oh, listen, our wingers, our blindside winger will cover that, our full back will cover it, but not if they've been sucked into a tackle. And so there was that beautiful chip through, which, you know, the execution of that kick by Barrett was unbelievable. Like, it's, he's not kicking it like that by accident. He's kicking like that perfectly well. So he's, in, he's using the shape of the ball that sort of spins the ball, slows up, makes it, makes it easier to... Um, you know, get into the space it needs to do. So they've done that because they've recognised the way Ireland have defended. Then the break, actually, from, from nine as well for, for the number eight try. That was, again, Ireland maybe not having someone directly in behind the rook because you say, okay, we, we, we need someone else in the front line of defence and actually we need someone in, the, in sweeping on the second line. But we'll compromise ourselves by not having someone in that position. And they, effectively, he's seen that that's been an issue and gone right through the rook as well. So what we're seeing here is that always a highly skilled New Zealand team. We know that, that you know any team that pulls any player that pulls on an, um, an All Blacks jersey is good. But this is smart as well, and Ireland will you know have to react to that and acknowledge that you know sometimes you know, you, where you trade off on your defensive system, be ready to be exploited in that area as well because these are these are canny players. Shane, there's another fear here uh, and that is the, I mentioned the squad being looking a bit thin already and, you know, there were concerns about, for example, the amount of front row players that, that we brought on tour in the first place. Uh, these fears are being realised. Andrew Porter played 80 minutes the other day. Dan Sheehan had to come back on. He played 76 minutes. Ty Furlong played almost 70 minutes. And of of serious test match rugby against New Zealand, are you concerned about uh, about how they're all going to hold up? Well, next you have week? to. You know that that game was I said, that game was dead very early on. You know, um, and certainly halfway through the second half, it, it was dead. And I know there was the the hold ups over the line, but they were one two of those were in quick succession. So I don't think it, you know you can't say that's going to be fourteen points with maybe seven points. You know, maybe that's what it's going to be, and then it's back down. But I really didn't feel that there was a kind of a stress or a pressure that was going to be put on New Zealand at that point in order that Ireland were effectively going to come back in and win that game. So there is a bit of a canniness about this to, you know, let's maybe, you know, live to fight another day here. So they did have the problem. They did have the problem of, of Keane Heady was injured. Yeah, he couldn't. Keane Heady shouldn't have been even on the bench. It had to be. Uh, Dave Heffernan came on. We, we'll get to this. Dave Heffernan came on and had to come back off uh, with the head knock. So it, they were a little bit stymied there as well, just on the day. But maybe more forward planning was required. I don't know. Are you ever going to regret bringing more front row forwards on a tour? <laughs> You're not. You know what I mean? Like, unfortunately, <laughs> just load up the plane load with them. them up, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So extend <laughs> that squad. Um, so I, I do think there is a little bit, maybe a little bit of forethought gone. And given we're always talking about, you know, let's let's you know we we don't have enough um, depth in the forwards, then you know that's something we can do. Now I'm sure Andy Farrell in his own head as well. There's a trade off going right. So I get these guys off at sixty. This game is gone. Um, but if we do take them off, I'm a bit concerned that it, you know, although there's a big score going up, it becomes an absolute blowout, you know, and you don't want that either. So I understand why he didn't make, necessarily make the change, but it's not good. And it speaks to the fact that we don't have depth, that we haven't brought enough numbers on um, and we're still reliant on, on you know, these two key uh, props. And um, we now have two props that are more fatigued than they should be going into a second test that we would, you know, we we could have been in a better position to, to to compete and then we are 
Jim, I take it New Zealand tails are up at this stage for the the second test. Are, are there areas that you'd be looking at they can improve on, or is it all is it all good news? Pressure eased a little bit on Ian Foster. I mean, you were mentioning these other. We were all obsessed about Joe Schmidt last week, but it turns out there was other coaching changes that were maybe more significant. It all seems like fairly good news for New Zealand. Yes, certainly the pressure has eased on Ian Foster. As I say, it hasn't been a universally popular choice because Scott Robertson's done so well with the Crusaders, and he's. He's a larrikin that we all love, unless you're part of the conservative New Zealand Rugby Union, and then he's, you know, um, I think, I think, um, was it Will Ian Foster doesn't dance around after after victories or anything, no? <laughs> no, no. Um, so, so yes, there was pressure. There has been pressure on him, and and not only that, you know, he coached the first All Black team to to lose to Argentina a couple of years ago. So you know, it has been mounting on him with the World Cup just around around the corner, and. It, you know, tough quarterfinals against either South Africa or, or Ireland. So, yeah, there's been considerable pressure on him. The All Blacks will improve. Of course they will. They'll, they'll always be better, as will Ireland, for the second test. Combinations will be better. Um, you know, all of those little things. And some personnel will come back because David Harvelli and um, Josh Goodhue were both out with COVID. I don't think Will Jordan will be, will be cleared from COVID in time to play. Uh, in Dunedin, but boy, oh boy, Will Jordan under a roof on a dry track in Dunedin, that would be exciting to see. Um, so, you know, they'll be better for it. There'll be less, I think with fewer disruptions, they'll have a better build-up and, and you know, that should work in their favour. But, uh, you know, no one expects anything but a, a, a reply, a response from Ireland. You know, Andy Farrell, he'll have those guys absolutely fired up, won't he? So, yeah, I, I, it's going to be fascinating because tactically it'll be different, different too. Because Andy Farrell talked about how the All Blacks were attacking three out, and does as, as Shane said before, does he counter that by pushing his defence further out to counter where they are going to attack? Because if they do that and it's a double bluff by the All Blacks, do they then attack closer to the nine? You know, and all of a sudden those those stresses and strains become different in a different test match. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the All Blacks do. Uh, when they have the ball. Yeah, and, and I think a kind of a negative and a positive for Ireland here, the All Blacks are going to be better next week, I'm convinced of it, um, because they weren't, they were they were a long way off sort of perfect as well. Um, and oh, yeah, so, a long yeah, way. There's a lot more in them, mm. and, and I think um, you know, with some changes, but also having the consistency of having played a test match uh, together for the first time in a while will you know will embolden them for next week as well so you know that's that's you know a worry um but yeah. there was some stuff that Ireland were doing that was that was you know effective i thought you know um, some of the the second wave attack worked quite well um what Ireland needs to do now is become more judicious on when they take their options um and we saw it's a very basic thing in rugby you go don't shovel on shit and there was too many times that they did it like they did it you take a bad pass and you sort of half catch it and then you have to own that pass you actually have to own the contact and the people around you have to own the contact uh, and make sure you recycle and uh, instead of that it was like oh here you go onto the next guy and you deal with it and all of a sudden that's where the intercept happened but it wasn't just where the intercept happened yes the intercept that was what was in my head there Shane because that was uh, both ring rolls and Henshaw I think yeah. there was a couple of players who, who did well to actually handle it but then sort of panicked a bit and, and shoveled the shit on as you say but, but also Losing Johnny Sexton didn't help you guys either. You know, I did a corporate gig with um, uh, Scott Robertson on the Friday before the test match, and I asked him who's the most important, you know, who, who are you looking forward to seeing in this game? And he said, well, Johnny Sexton's crucial for Ireland. If Johnny Sexton plays well, then Ireland will play well. 
and he wasn't allowed to, to play well, and then he went off injured. So losing him was was I think huge. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think um, it had a, it always has an impact, and um, Ireland don't get into their pattern pattern. Um, as uh, quickly without him no matter who they have at 10 and that's a big issue Ireland are very patterned and then they have the, the options now again that's been an issue for Ireland and when you see they, they they throw that pass and that's a product sometimes of not being in the pattern early enough so the faster Ireland can get into that um, the better and then they have to make the decision of when you pass out the back door, when you take the front line option. Now that is very difficult because you're making it, you know, you're making these decisions live um, uh, as you see the defence in front of you. But I have to say, I was encouraged in that first period of the game because, you know. Ireland started off a little bit um, static and it was one of their early passes. I saw Sexton not coming onto the ball and pulling it back. And I thought, oh, this is not good for Ireland. If you net attack this New Zealand line, you've got a chance. But if you sta- if you're sta- remain static, we've seen the issues with Ireland before. As they got a little bit more success, you started to see them taking the ball to the line. And even some of the forwards, I thought, actually, we could be in a decent position here. Then you had the problems with Sexton going off, with not getting to the pattern fast enough, and pushing those passes, um, and going almost being prescriptive on the ball out the back. And we saw that in the Marys as well. It's going, Alison, we're set up for this. Let's do it. New Zealand read it really well. Come in, hit you behind the gain lines, a complete change of momentum. So we're now in the position with Ireland that I think they know the game plan. They can get set up. They need to get set up a little bit quicker. And then they got to take the right option, which is the most difficult thing to do. But if you can mm-hmm. do it against New Zealand, you're in a, you know, you are in a great place for sort of the rest of the year. And now they've got another two games in order to, you know, challenge themselves against the best in the world. By the way, the news on Sexton, uh, well, it's expected that he's going to play in the second test. We had assumed when he went off that that wouldn't be the case because there's a new World Rugby law that recommends a 12-day break after a concussion. But Andy Farrell said afterwards that he passed his HIA 2 and that if he passes his HIA 3, that would mean concussion not confirmed. And the IRFU say that those protocols will be completed today. So uh, this may or may not have changed by the time people listen to this. But as we record, uh, the indications seem to be that he's going to play, which is a bit of a surprise, I guess, Shane, just on the basis that we ha- had assumed this 12-day thing was a cast iron rule yeah but it, but it's not and there's this other process that's a, that's at play sort of in parallel seemingly uh, depending on what happens with that second HIA it didn't look like a massive knock to me but you know I wasn't there who knows and and you, if you're sort of in the hands of the medics here um, of you know of all people I, you know there's, there's, I don't think there's a, a case of you take risks here anymore. What you do is you go through the process and wherever it lands, you lands you. And now there's been a little, there's a couple of, I think, issues on this tour so far that you know have been missed, which it, which isn't great, isn't ideal. Yeah, and just, on, and just on the, the latest one of those uh, that was Dave Heffernan at the weekend. He came on uh, in his, I think it was his first carry. He had a head knock. It, it appeared he stumbled backward afterwards. It's one of those ones that that looks bad to the eye. Medic comes on in a break of play, but he plays on just for a couple of minutes, scrums down, carries, uh, clears out a rook. So, you know, he's, he's heavily involved still. Before then, he goes off a couple of minutes later. So it wasn't as though, he, you know, he didn't stay on for the rest of the match, but he stayed on for a couple of minutes. This is after the other one, the Jeremy Lockman incident against, against the Maoris, where New Zealand rugby said there was a gap in communications there, and he never should have been allowed back on the field up to half time. So to have those couple of incidents back to back is a bit of a worry. Well, I just I just think it is because we've seen so many. Well, you know, you guys are probably caught up with Carl Heyman and and the, the the tragic story that is Carl Heyman, 
wonderful prop, wonderful player for, for the All Blacks and up there in Europe, uh, suffering from early onset dementia. And, you know, you can argue, I don't care, you can argue whether there's links, whether there's connections, whatever. The reality is we need to protect our players because we want our players to have long careers. So if that means taking someone off straight away and erring on the side of caution, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I think I think we're all we're all there on that. Um, uh, the fact that there's there's been these oversights um, seems to be human error. Um, I don't know how quickly the pic- the pictures are getting to the people that need to make the decisions. I think that seems to be uh, the issue at the moment. Um, I think what was I think it's important to acknowledge when you get it wrong. New Zealand put their um, hands up. Um, New Zealand rugby put their hands up um, uh, on the Maori one. I thought, listen, this is not. This is not like um, we're not perfect on this yet, and we're moving towards getting it right. And I think, you know, if you're acknowledging that something went wrong, and you're putting a system in place to ensure that it doesn't go wrong again, on on one level, that's that's important progress. Now there will be, I think, learnings to use that sort of corporate term from what happened at the weekend as well. Hopefully, they they'll, that will have taken uh, place, and so it doesn't happen. In the next game, I think there's always going to be tweaks and developments and and kind of um, the, the, an imperfect system because it's difficult. It's difficult. There's you know thirty bodies here hurtling into each other. There's rooks every second. They can be can they can be you know you know we're talking rook speed is a, a second one point five seconds. So over the course of you know a, a ten second period, you can have maybe nine eight rooks, and there is maybe four bodies in each of those, maybe more. Um, and then there's t- the tackle as well. So there is a lot going on. So um, what, I know, what we need to do is... When, when the viewer at home can see these things, Shane, like like it, clearly in the, the Lockman case the other day, and I thought again then on, on Saturday, the viewer could see there was a stumble backwards. You know, if you can see it at home, surely the onus is on whatever protocols are in place to make sure that, that, that the medics there can see it straight I, away. I think you're right. Listen, it's, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that, um, yeah. that it wasn't uh, an error. It was, and it has. And we do want to eliminate them as many errors as we can in this area because it's critical it's really important and i think for optics it's not great either you know you know the the, the fact that we're we, we're trying to sell our sport to kids and we're trying to sell our sport to sponsors and everyone else we we really can't be missing them but i'm saying it does happen let's try and get to as p- perfect a position as we can and if errors do happen let's learn from them and try and eliminate them for the next time and and I would be very hopeful that you know we don't see anything similar in the, in the next two tests Shane Andy Farrell uh, reiterated after the game that this is all priceless for us you know that the long term this is still the right thing to do to have this tour to have these Maori games to to learn from these things I feel he might be right you know and, and you know if we if we go through all the way to a world cup final this will all look like genius planning to be, being right in the middle of it at the moment it doesn't quite feel that way where are you on that at the moment yeah i i, I don't feel that as well i think this is part of this is part of rugby this is this is what we do and even if they're i know everything is focused on the world cup now and you know that's that's how you um, have to view every, it seems every single match and I'm not a believer in that at all I think you know the Six Nations sits as the Six Nations and I'm all about winning the Six Nations not necessarily like building for a World Cup that's in potentially in four years time um, and I think there's something about 
um, you know, this the a New Zealand series. There is a life experience for all those players. It's amazing to take on the All Blacks. It's what you'd sort of dream of as as a kid as well, playing against the the best team in the world, the most historic, the most um, I suppose hist- um, yeah, kind of uh, legendary, isn't it? You know, they have that this this special standing in rugby actually, and in sport, New Zealand have so. You know, don't underestimate that as a uh, a motivation and a desire for players to get down there and play this. And of course, I'm the lead one who go lead a person who goes uh, banging on about if they can win a test match down in New Zealand, mm-hmm. it's a brilliant thing for the World Cup. But it, it, and it is, and it will be brilliant. But you know, what's the alternative here? Um, uh, oh, yeah. you know, like not do a tour in New Zealand because it's quite tough, and you know, rest the players some more. I, I honestly talk to her, uh, talk to the players in the team talk to the players in the team and see who wouldn't want to go on that New Zealand you, tour. You don't necessarily you know, have to have the two Maori games. You know that's that is the, the stretch where you're doing five of them and you're, you know you're, you're looking at the squad and that and that has a knock on effect on the Test team because of the injuries that you pick up in the Maori and and so on as you saw with Keane Healy the other day. Well, listen, you know there's a definitely a conversation there about extending the squad, but also speak to the guys who maybe haven't played for Ireland or haven't played a huge amount of games for Ireland and or, or, and have been on tours before where there hasn't been a midweek game now that's a hardship you know and whatever a New Zealand winter without a game can be tricky you know (laughs) so um, so there's that so like that's uh, that's you know of uh, import as well to think you know these the the Maori games are you know uh, are a high level um, in a different environment and you know uh, provide a challenge to to the squad as well I listen I love and I love these tours. I think they're a mm. part of, you know, rugby um, culture and philosophy. And, you know, I know there was talk about sort of bringing them into an overall competition. I quite like the idea of that as well. I thought that was a really smart idea because you kind of have the best of both worlds. But this idea that and there's a lot of people talk about end of season tours as, as such a hardship for the players and, and counterproductive. That's never been the way I've seen it. That's not been my experience as, as a player. The opportunity to get down, you know, on a tour with your buddies playing against the best. Yeah, it might be great if you're taking a few hidings, which I, which we did do. But the overall experience is one that rests with you. And, you know, uh, and I, I also think ultimately develops you. If you remember... You know, I um, in the lead up, and it wasn't a million miles away in the, the, um, before the 2003 World Cup. I think it was maybe 99th, the latest. Do you remember that England team that went down to Australia and got absolutely pumped? 98. Was it 90? 1998? They got absolutely destroyed. I think they lost one test by 70 points. Yeah, I remember. Do you know, I, I really remember because there was these guys, there was these Aussies who were doing press ups every time that the Aussies scored a point. Yes, and they were <laughs> yes. literally. If they couldn't move Exhausted. by the end of the game, they were absolutely <laughs> pumped. Um, but like uh, that, that developed. And I, listen, I don't always think you just throw a, um, you know, a, a young team in against. Lambs to the yeah, it doesn't, whatever, you know, yeah. So there's a balance on it, and I, I like the idea of sort of bringing in players, um, you know, with experienced players as well. But you know, you become toughened and you become more experienced, and you, there is a benefit as long as you're not getting abs. You know, unless you, you you have to identify what the benefits you want to take from the from the tour are. So they can, and that's to, to getting back to the very first point. Like it can't be seen by Ireland, and I'm sure it's not by Andy Farrell that if Ireland don't win this Test series, it's um, it's not a success. You know, there's measures of success, and until we mm-hmm. beat New Zealand, New Zealand, or win a tour down there, you know, we have to be realistic on on what we're getting from it, and we have to identify what we want to get from it. That's below winning a Test series in New Zealand. Jim, last word to you. Well, just on the on the Maori games. 
you know, I've been lucky enough to cover more than 200 All, All Black Test matches over the last couple of decades. And there are three, there's two tours in one game that apart from all of those Test matches stand out. The, the 05 and the 17 Lions tours were just fantastic in New Zealand because you played midweek games. You played games away from the All Blacks and we got to see all these other players playing in these other in these other games. I I, I long for a return to, to tours that have games outside of Test matches. And then the other game, which was remarkable and amazing and fascinating on so many levels, was Munster in 2008. I've never been in a crowd like it. It was absolutely brilliant. I feared for my life for most of the evening, uh, but it was it was absolutely superb, you know. And and that game and those tours and you know I wish I uh, well you know if I, if I'd been around it would have been fantastic to have been around in the eighties and or beforehand when that when when they went away on long tours. You know, I watched as a young fellow the eighty nine tour to Wales and Ireland, and it was just brilliant. Um, so that New Zealand Māori game, or the two games, they're really well supported here in New Zealand. There's huge anticipation around them because, you know, midweek games are what are what tours should be about, shouldn't they? Yeah, I love Jim is advocating for the old a return to the three-month-long tours. <laughs> Maybe not the three-month-long tour. But, but, you know, I've been saying the same thing about when the All Blacks go north. You know, there's no reason why the All Blacks can't be playing Tuesday or Wednesday games when they're away as well. And they did, they went to France a couple of years ago and they played a couple of French selections, which we all know is a, the French test team dressed up in another jersey. Um, but, you know, how good would it be if, if they went back to Ireland and, and played Leinster? If they went to England and played one of the top clubs there? You know, that'd be brilliant. We'd love, that would really, really add to a tour. Um, maybe not the three-month tour, but certainly when you're away with these big squads that they carry, there's no reason the All Blacks can't play a midweek game or two. Have a word, Jim. Have a word with them. <laughs> exactly. I've had a word. I've had a word. Steve Chu used to tell me to go away. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, brilliant stuff. Thanks so much. Shane, Kraken, thanks a million. Thanks a million. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a beautiful summer's day. The breeze is stupendous. 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 Would this podcast be even more stupendous without ads? Without ads? Ads. If so, then join us for daily commercial-free shows at secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not bumping them up. I'm not Irish. I'm just saying my observations, they are amazing. Stupendous. Stupendous. We touched on the refereeing in the chat. The Ireland players and coaches seemed a little bemused, especially about how the breakdown was refereed. And Peter Manny certainly, <laughs> he was having a bad day, a bad referee day, I, I felt. He wasn't mm. quite, he was 
very forcefully putting across his point of view to Carl Dixon, the referee, but didn't seem to be getting much change and was just becoming increasingly frustrated as the decisions went against Ireland. I've, uh, yeah, I just, I, I have no idea how if you're not a commentary team and you see Peter O'Mahony with the full-on Peter O'Mahony eyes talking to the referee, where you just be like, okay, whatever we're saying isn't going to be half as interesting as Peter O'Mahony swearing loudly at this referee <laughs> on television at 9 a.m. in the morning. So please just get out of the way. When you hear when you hear Peter O'Mahony coming up to a referee, you know it's going to be box office. You know there are probably going to be cuss words. So just please stop talking so that we can all hear and laugh. We've talked about this. It saves the broadcaster from having to apologise after say, the event. They might as well cut it down by just censoring. Yeah. The foul-mouthed tirade as it happens. I mean, I'm always... You know, On one of the guiding principles of my life is that it's always better to apologise than to ask for permission. Uh, But in you're always saying that. I'm forever saying that. Mm -hmm. But uh, in this particular case, it's by 10 million miles better to apologise than to ask permission to hear Peter O'Mahony using a variety of foul and abusive language towards the referee. He's American. Wait, wait, careful, careful, careful. All the best GA analysis during the week on the World Service. A bit of hurling for you. And of course, Flynn and McConville on the football semi-finals. So join up now. Secondcaptains.com. Five euro a month plus VAT. Don't forget all episodes of the pod are ad-free if you become a member at secondcaptains.com. The Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 